Welcome to Crime on Primetime. I'm your host, Kinsey Huseman. I'm here with my two best friends. Emily. So, fun fact for the listeners. This is take two of episode 21. Because the internet just stopped in the middle of it and we lost our recording. But it's okay because we didn't get that far. I know our Wi-Fi is usually pretty good because I usually can record and Dalton can do his PC gaming stuff and it doesn't mess up. He plays PC. I don't know what happened. He does play PC. Have I not told you this? He just upgraded his PC. He also got a new desk, which means I get his old PC and desk. I'm going to turn a closet into a podcasting studio. I'm going to get a nice mic. I have my own little setup. I'm going to get one of those Yeti mics. I don't know which mic. I feel like I should get... Dalton, I think, is really into this part because he's... I don't know. I don't know anything about what's happening because he said he had to upgrade his PC because it's old and there's like a few parts that need to be fixed. I don't know what all is happening. I'm just kind of rolling with it because he keeps telling me things and I don't understand what he's saying. But he's also really into the mic because he's like, you need a mic with an arm and a pop filter and this and that. I was like, sure. Okay, you just tell me which one to buy. And I'll do it. Which reminds me, followers. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I'll make another one here in a minute. It's been a while. But I got a couple couple up there. And while you're at it, email us or DM us on any of those platforms if you have a question you'd like us to answer in the beginning. That'd be so awesome. And we love answering listener questions. And with that being said, Malik... Would you like to ask your question? See, so second question of the day, I'll, I'll save the first one that we had earlier for a different time. But um, what what y'all's y'all's dream house? So the place where it's at, or at least general location, and then like you know size and kind of what goes in it. Uh, yeah, I kind of okay. So I kind of had this conversation with Dalton the other day because I was listening to a podcast episode. Shout out to Let's Go to Court about this lottery winner and they were talking about like just different things of the lottery and how it's life-changing money but because of it most people don't know how to use that money so they go through it really quickly and i asked dalton i was like do you think if like we won the lottery like what would we do with the money because i don't think i would go out and buy a million dollar house which he then pointed out to me, well, a million dollars in Colorado gets you a normal house. And I was like, <laughs> fair enough. I don't want a mansion. Like, I don't think I want a big house. At least now without kids. I don't even think I'd have that many kids. I don't know what I would do with all of that. Space and things. I don't and I don't think I want flashy. I, I kind of just want simple, but like modern I want a big kitchen. I want a nice kitchen because we both like to cook. I would love a walk-in closet and more closet space. And then a nice bathroom. But I think that would really be like, I know like a backyard so that Bennett could run around and play. I want a nice shot. I want a nice bathtub. I want a brick house too. I want nice some nice bricks. Uh, okay. Okay. One story or two story? I I'm fine with one as long as it's spacious. I think I said the brick thing. Okay, not a lot of houses in color. Or there's some. It's like half and half. There, like every house in Texas is almost brick. But like in Colorado, they're not. There's like these cookie cutter houses that are coming up in these development areas where they all look the same. And they're not brick. I don't know what they are. They look really nice, but. And I'm like, man, I would buy one of those. But at the same time, I don't want to live in a subdivision where, like, every house looks like my house. And then they're all so close and the backyards are so small. I'm like, I don't I want a normal neighborhood. And I want a brick house. What about you, Malik? What kind of house are you thinking? I'm I'm a one-story guy. I need, and then some, some land, maybe, just a little bit. And then, yeah, I'm like, hey, I need at least, like, one. I just call them movie theater rooms. That has a big-ass TV and a nice sectional in it. And then, other than that, you know what? A shower I can sit in? That'd be that'd be nice. Oh, and a big kitchen. Big, big, big kitchen. Big kitchen. 
Uh, and like, I an, want like an island. An, I I cook tonight. F y'all. All right. Well, with this awkward transition, let's just talk about the episode that we watched <laughs> this week. We watched NCIS New Orleans. We were back in NOLA. Okay, I started this conversation, and this is where it went out. I'm sure y'all were blessed because you thought I wasn't going to sing. But now I am going to oh, sing. God. Because when you, when I say the House of the Rising Sun, which y'all didn't know, but the song, you know, the, there is a house way down in New Orleans. They call the rising sun. It's been the room many a Okay, so like, it's been covered a lot. Uh, one of the famous ones is Michael Buble covers it. It's by the animals. <laughs> okay, it it literally says, it starts with the house way down in New Orleans. Okay, so we were at this Great American Beer Festival. And there was this huge sign that said the House of the Rising Sun. And I was like, oh, that brewery's from Louisiana. And Dalton was like, how do you know? And I said, because the House of the Rising Sun's in New Orleans. And then we had to, like, look underneath that sign to see what state, and it was Louisiana. I was like, boom, suck it, got it right. And then I was like, is it not? I thought it was just obvious. I didn't even know the lyrics to that song, and I was like, the House of the Rising Sun, New Orleans, Louisiana. Anyways, that's that's that story. Fun fact. I was just proud of myself. Okay, so we watched NCIS New Orleans, Season 5, Episode 18, In Plain Sight. Don't watch this one with me, and he said he does not like this show. <laughs> I have to agree that I don't think the acting is the best. Like, I feel like some of them overact. And I feel like the... F I was going to say, besides SVU... Honestly, the acting overall isn't that great. No, Criminal Minds has some great acting, man. Mm, that's that's debatable. But like this one, I feel like they took the New Orleans thing to the extreme. Uh, I don't even consider what like, they were doing. I, as I don't acting. know. It was a little cheesy. They were just talking. Well, I feel like some of their accents were cheesy, and then. The fact that, like, the way that the, like, office they worked in is set up and everything. I'm like, are PlayStations or whatever really set up like that? Or are you just really trying to play this, like, New Orleans thing? Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist. It's fake. It's not real. No one has an <laughs> office with that many plans. I am fake. I'm a figment of your imagination. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Okay, so it opens with a guy named Patton playing wheelchair basketball. Also, he like just was ramming into everyone. Are there not fouls in wheelchair basketball, or can you just ram into people like that? Oh, I thought that it was my hurt. fingers. I know. So he's playing wheelchair basketball, and then he goes out. He gets this call. From his friend. He's like, what's up, man? You missed the game. And the guy was like, I need you to come outside and meet me right now. And he's like a little worried. He's like, okay, that's weird. Um, so he goes outside, meets the friend, and the friend was immediately shot in a drive-by. Very sad. Then it jumps to the theme song. Okay, I wrote the theme song down this time. Because I think it sounds a lot like the CSI theme song. Because it goes boom, boom, boom. Bang, 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 bang. Hey, 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 hey. I'm going to tell you right now, most of the time, I just skip it. It's not the same song, because this one goes boom, 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 and the one last week went differently. <laughs> <laughs> we got it. We eventually got to it last week, but it was like, ooh, 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 ooh. This one's boom, 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 and this one's ooh, ooh, ooh. Two different songs that sound a lot alike. Anyways, this song goes boom, boom, boom. Bang, bang, bang. It was still a pretty good song. The victim is Nick Taylor. He lost his leg in Afghanistan, but then became a 
What did I say? Oh, he became an analyst for the intelligence looking at data for drug buzz. So there's this whole program called the Valor Brigade that uh, for veterans or other service members that uh, succumb to a, a tragic accident that leaves them physically unable to perform their jobs. They can then like work in this Valor Brigade doing other jobs for the same companies. So like FBI, CIA, uh, the police, yada, yada, yada. So they're not completely out of a job. It's a good little program. So the next thing we learn is that Nick Taylor is dating or seeing his physical therapist, which is unethical. The, okay, so it turns out that Nick's Taylor, Nick Taylor's prosthetic leg was bugged and the bug had classified navy intel so now they're like nick taylor was a spy you know who we needed to have on this episode is taylor's sister reagan she works with prosthetics i was like is she a spy she's not a spy but i think she makes the prosthetics or something so yeah, now they're like, oh, Nick Taylor's a spy. And Patton's over there going, no, he's my best friend. He's not a spy. And I'm like, well, that's what anyone whose friend is a spy is going to say. Because you you're not supposed to know your friend is a spy. Now we... Okay, so now he may not... So we quickly ruled out this theory. It did not take long for them to be like, okay, he's not a spy. You got us. Because then they find out that there's another tracker in the workplace. Multiple. Yeah, at the mm-hmm. at the rehab place where where uh they all went. Nick Taylor, Patton, all these other um veterans all went to this one rehab place. And they're like, There's another tracker off to the rehab place. And so then they run in okay, so then they go and it's like everyone that's a part of the Valor Brigade has the tracker on them somewhere wheelchair prosthetics somewhere they have a tracker on them so they pull in this guy that used to be a cop and he was kind of a jerk through the whole thing and so they pull him into interrogation and they're like look sims we think you're the one that put the bugs on him and he's like dude he's like i was a street cop I knock doors down and kick ass. And I'm like, do street cops do that? Or do y'all just give out speeding tickets? I don't think the street cops were the one that were like, kick it down. Doors right. I was like, all right, calm down, buddy. Yeah. I was like, your job was not. Now, if you told me you were a detective, SWAT, something like that, I'd be like, okay, all right, you did kick the door down. But I was like, I've watched many episodes of SVU and I know that it's the detectives kicking the door down. It's not the street cops. For a fact. But yeah. He he was like. I'm too much of a badass to plant. Bugs. And then he was like. Someone took me for a fool. They said that several times. Throughout the episode. That phrase. I was taken for a fool. All of the members of the Valor Brigade were bugged. Okay. Not Taylor's girlfriend. Okay, so now they're looking at the rehab lady, Mm -hmm. the girlfriend, and they're like, well, she's connected to all of these people. So is she on it? So they were, that was like their new suspect. And then Patton comes in and he's like, I mean, I would guess it's her because she's being blackmailed and threatened to like, they're, that they were going to expose her relationship with Nick Taylor, get her fired, and then when that didn't work, they were like, "We're just going to beat you up," or something. They they yeah, that was that was a, a little bit of a stretch, though. I thought the whole time, I was like, "Really, blackmail leads to like her being a spy and then killing him? That's that's a real big stretch." I don't know. I and could then see in a drive by, if some like someone mm. dies in a drive by, that was a no, big just stretch. Like, all of it being like on her, like the drive-by, her being blackmailed into being like oh, a yeah, US like, or a spy for whoever. 
I don't. I could see the blackmail because I could see someone. Um, spoiler where it was like a a motorcycle gang. I could see like if I a motorcycle gang reached out to me and was like, "We're gonna expose your relationship, and we might beat you up or the people you love up." I would be like, yeah. "Okay, I I'll guess- do it." Because she it depends how much she knew. If they were just like, "Go put this on these people's like where you can," be like, "Cool." Yeah. Like I guess. Now, if they told me gonna- the beat up part. But like, just like, like, what's the worst that's gonna happen? She's gonna lose her job here. I'm sure she's qualified to get in. and her license, oh, I guess maybe. That's true. But I'm sure she would find another job. I don't know. I mean, yeah the the fact that you're you're turning spy because your late relationship might be exposed is a mm-hmm. little much. So they were like, "Let's go talk to Julia, the girlfriend. We need to know who that is, or like, what she knows." So they went to her house, and then they found her dead in her house. That was the end of that freaking accusation in a hurry. Yeah. They pulled all the data from all of the bugs, and now have to manually go through to see who profited the most from the bugs. So now they have to go through, like, all of these bugs from all of these different agencies and see, like, which group of people got the most profit from it? Most out of it? Yada, yada, yada. So they went to the Valor Brigade. Thank you. They went to the Valor Brigade to get their help. going. So they like went to the people. And they were like, y'all are best equipped to do this. Like, y'all could help us out a lot. Then, you know, the cop guy was like, nah, I'm going to hit the gym. This, I'm not gonna do this. And then you know, Patton gave him a pep talk and was like, "Your legs aren't growing back, dude. <laughs> Just get on board." <laughs> so he convinced that guy to help him. Cocaine was so, you know, they're still like trying to go through Julia, like Julia's house, and they found cocaine at the crime scene. There's a lot of cocaine, right? Or was it just like really, yeah, high, like highly potent cocaine? It was highly potent. There wasn't a lot of it, but it was highly potent. And I was like, wow, we're starting to stretch here. And we were doing drive-bys and now cocaine. And so then it was Patton and that cop guy, Sims, were like doing, typing on the computer. And obviously Sims is kind of a jerk and Patton. And then he said this quote. He said, or he said something along the lines of anger and frustration has got him far in life. Because Patton was like, are you always this angry? And that man's like, yeah, it gets me far. And I was like, yeah, that's who we want mm-hmm. to be our cop. You sound like you beat people. I was like, how can you just be like fine with just being angry and frustrated <laughs> all the time? Like, I've been frustrated a lot lately. I've realized that I've, it's just been a very frustrating time for me. And I'm like, I don't want to live like this anymore. This sucks. So how could you just accept that you're just going to always live like just that? Just always be one of those people that's always pissed off. Obviously, he needs to go to mental therapy as long as physical therapy. Now, okay, so now they... Patton and Sims figured it out and they're like it's the marauders not to be confused with the harry potter harry potter marauders the motorcycle gang marauders that's a stupid name for a motorcycle gang there's nothing the marauders that at all yeah i guess not because obviously i think of harry potter so i just think they're like a bunch of wannabe wizards or something (laughs) Okay, so they sell Peruvian cocaine. Must be high quality. The leader's brother was injured in a motorcycle accident. And so he goes to the crane center because he lost his leg in the motorcycle accident. Also, all of these people lost their legs. There's other limbs you can lose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I noticed that too. I was like, why, why is it always the leg? I know. I was like, does no one need rehab if they lose an arm? I was like, like, is this place specific to, to like people? 
the Marauders have a deal going on at the wharf. So then they were like, it's the Marauders. Where can we get them? And someone was like, at the wharf. There's going to be a deal going on. And they're going to put Reed on the boat. And they're like, let's go to the wharf right now. <laughs> so they do get to the wharf. Um, and it's an old-fashioned shootout ensues. So you got them surrounded, and they're like, bang, bang, bang. And the other guys are like, bang, bang, bang. None of the cops get hurt, but, you know, a few of the marauders were shot. You know, when none of them got hurt, usually I'm okay with it and like cop shows. But this time, none of them were really hiding behind anything. I was like, I get being a bad shot, but whoever, what's the head guy's name? Like, Pride or whatever? He was hiding, he was literally trying to hide behind a pole. Honestly, I did think of that when they were like doing the thing where they're like go this way you go that way and they were all like surrounding and hiding and i was like but none of them are hiding like this isn't there's not a good hiding spot like all these motorcycle gang has to do is just like turn around and then boom they're there like yeah i was like i was like they i get like i said get being a bad shot but y'all aren't even y'all aren't behind anything especially the head no. guy it was literally a pole i was like that what does that protect you from yeah, like one fourth of your mm -hmm. body. Yeah, but it was an old fashioned shootout, and you know who won? The good guys won. Except they were like, "Where's Reed? Where's Xander Reed?" And they were like, "He's not here." And then we find out that the angry cop sent NCIS to the wharf. To make the bus, but knew Reed wasn't gonna be was gonna be at the bar, so he shows up to the bar and he's like, "I'm gonna do this shit myself." So he pulls a gun out on Reed, who also pulled a gun out on him with two other guys, and Patton followed Reed to the bar and is in the middle of all of it. And so they're all—it's an old-fashioned. I wanted to say an old-fashioned stick-up, but <laughs> I didn't know if that fit. Is it a stick-up? If they're sticking each other up? I don't think so. Showdown. What is it called when they're just both pointing a gun at each other? Uh, a Mexican standoff. Okay. Yeah, let's go with that. I don't know. Maybe that's Mexican just a Mexican standoff. I don't know. That's just what I heard it called. Oh. Yeah, I was thinking westerns. Mm -hmm. I've seen like movies where like it's an old Mexican standoff. I don't I don't know what the yeah. part has to do with it, but it's, it's in there. <laughs> Yeah, I've never heard of that term. I don't know. But they're all pointing guns at each other. It's like the Spider-Man meme, but with guns and hands. Well, okay, so they're like, you know, doing the chatty chatty thing. And one guy's like, if you wanted me dead, you shoot me now. And the other guy's like, well, if you wanted me dead, you shoot me now. And, and Patton's going like, no, no one shoots each other. And then we find out that Pat had already notified NCIS, and they come busting in, and, and no one shoots anyone. There was no shots fired at the bar. If it was me, if I was so, that guy, I would have shot them both. Honestly, I was like, there's no way this biker gang is like, okay, let's talk this out. I was like, that's not realistic. You pull a gun on one of these guys, and they're automatically shooting you. Yeah, especially if they think, like, they're not. they have, like, a boat that's about to go out of country i just shoot him in but hey i'm getting on that boat yeah but like they're not gonna let Patton give sim like that cop a little like pep talk a life talk and be like you good man you checked out all right we'll put our guns down but whatever everyone it all ends in a happily ever after that that chili looks real good they I'm about to go to the store. That is real good. It's real good. It's homemade. Mm. You don't have to give me. Um. Anyway, so what? I'm about to give me a can of Wolf Brand. It's good. That brand's good too. So yeah, it ends with Sims joining Patton's wheelchair basketball team, and everyone hugs it out at the end. Love to see it. Okay. So. When I was trying to find a case to go with this episode, I didn't know where to go with it. And Dalton was like, you should find a case where someone doesn't know that they're a spy. 
So I Googled that case where someone doesn't know that they're a spy. Didn't really come up with anything. So then I was like, I'm going to go the motorcycle gang route, I guess. And I'll do like a motorcycle gang murder or something. And Dalton was like, no, I think you really need to stick with the spy thing. And I was like, okay, I'll see what spy thing I can find that might have something along the lines of this episode. And you know what? I kind of, I found it. And I was like, well, what, what do you know? Dalton's right. <laughs> and I was like, I didn't know I'd find a case that kind of was like this, kind of this. And anyway, so you'll see what I'm talking about. Because I'm going to tell you the life story of the spy known as the limping lady. The limping lady, huh? The limping lady. Virginia Hall's life seemed like it was all planned out for her at an early age. She was born to a wealthy she was born to wealthy parents, Edwin Lee Hall and Barbara Virginia Hummel on April 6th, 1906 in Baltimore. From a young age, she was adventurous and out of the norm of society girls. A prime example of this was that she showed, I don't know what age she was, but she showed up to school with a bracelet of live snakes around her wrist. Of live snakes? Live snakes! I don't even know how that works. Like, you just, it's just wrapped around your arm and they're like, this is, it's a bracelet. If some girl, like, did that to me when we were in school, I probably would have punched her. If she, like, would have flashed it in my face, I would have freaked out and punched her. I would have lost my shit. One time at an Angelo party, at a pool party at Angelo, I was like leaving, and someone was walking in with their live pet snake was or whatever. Was it the snake and I was girl? Like, yeah, this. I don't know. There, I remember there was a girl is. like our probably our first two years. She had a big ass snake, and she would walk around with it sometimes. I don't know if you're a message maybe. Girl. So, I don't think so. We would not have been friends. <laughs> I don't do snakes. Yeah, like one of those um, big yellow ones. No, I don't think this one was... I don't know. I can't remember. But some girl showed up with a snake to the pool party. And I was like, yes, it is time for me to leave. And mm-hmm. then I was like, I know for a fact they probably don't let that snake into this pool. <laughs> but yes, if some freaking nine-year-old showed up with snakes around her wrist, I would have a conundrum. <laughs> I might be dead on the spot. I mean, I'd call my parents and be like, get me out of school ASAP. There's snakes in the building. <laughs> Specifically around this girl's wrist. It's it's the devil. She's the devil. You know, if if she was, if this happened nowadays, she would get bullied so, like, she would forever be known by this incident. Oh, and she wouldn't be friends with anyone. Like, no one would be friends with her. Like, she would be cast off as a weird girl for doing this. She'd be worse. She'd literally be the devil. My mom would have told me she was probably the devil. <laughs> Malik, you don't have anything to do with that girl. She's the devil. She's the devil. El Diablo! So, this girl, this high society girl, shows up to school with snakes on her wrist, loves to hunt. So she's not your typical high society girl. She wants more. She loves adventure. She wants more in life. Um, so Virginia's parents expected their daughter to marry a high society man. Because remember, we're like in the early 1900s. This was like your job as a rich girl. Was to marry rich and then have babies and take care of them be there for your man but Virginia was having none of that she had her eyes set on the US Foreign Service as a diplomat she studied at Radcliffe which is was Harvard's college for women at the time because you know men and women couldn't go to school together so she essentially went to Harvard and then transferred to Bernard, which was Columbia's college for women, so she essentially then went to Columbia, and 
while she was in college, she also studied in Paris, Vienna, Strasbourg, Grenoble, and Toulouse. I might have butchered several of those, but I feel good about some of those. She attended graduate school at the American University in D.C. And by the end of... or I, Okay, so she did all that. So by the end of her European stint, she could speak French and German fluently. And then she went to grad school at the American University in Washington, which I didn't know was a thing. And obviously, is, is, we don't have a university called American University anymore. I was going to say, is that still but, like a place? I don't think so. I feel like we would hear about it, right? Like, the That's American University. So, you know, well-educated. So once she was finally done with school, Virginia took the U.S. Foreign Service test in December of 1929. However, her dreams came crashing down when she learned she failed. But as Michael Scott said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So she tried again in July of 1930. And yet she failed again. Okay, so before I go any further, because, I mean, I thought you would call me out on this. And I need you to so I don't look like an idiot. You got my reference, right? Is, like, Michael Scott from The Office? Yes. Okay. I'm not an office I didn't want... like, guy. I just don't want people... I know Michael Jordan said it. I'll credit him, too. Michael Scott, Michael Jordan said you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I just don't want people to think that I was an idiot. <laughs> I was going to say, I wasn't going to call you out. Because I, I knew Michael Jordan said it, but I was like, if Michael Scott said it too, that's fine. I guess. No, the office reference is that he has a poster in his office, and it's like, 100% of the shots you don't, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, Michael Jordan, and then underneath that's all quoted and it says Michael Scott. Like he said what Michael Jordan said. Hmm. Like he was taking credit for Michael Jordan's thing. Hmm. Interesting. Anyways, obviously that didn't go over well. Let's just keep trucking. So she failed again, but she was undeterred. So she just, Virginia decided to take a different approach. She was going to get some experience and then try again. She started working at the U.S. Embassy in Warsaw in July of 1931 as a consular clerk, which I'm pretty sure is a secretary. Because I think back then, anytime someone said, I'm a clerk, they were basically a secretary. Yeah, I, I, would, I would think so. Okay, so then in April of 1933, she was transferred to the U.S. consulate in Samirian, Samirina? Turkey, which is now Izmir, 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 Turkey. It was here in Turkey that Virginia suffered a devastating injury. So she got the job in what is now Izmir, Turkey, and it was here that she had suffered a that she suffered a devastating injury. On December eighth, nineteen thirty-three, Virginia was out hunting when her gun accidentally went off as she was climbing a fence, striking her left foot. Those hunting with her managed to get her to the hospital before she bled out. Sadly, though, gangrene had started settling in, and the doctors were forced to amputate the leg just below the knee. She continued to re- yeah, not gang What? Not gangrene. I know. But that was really common back then, I feel then, like right? that's the nastiest thing you could have. Does it still happen today? I don't know. I think, can't you get like, aren't we supposed to get like a shot that keeps us from getting gangrene? Is it tetanus? No, that keeps out tetanus. I don't know. I don't know. But I feel like it's not a, a thing today. I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong. Yeah, but I don't think it is. I think it was just really big back, back then. Okay. But like, I don't know if you ever watched like those old documentaries of people with gangrene. That's some nasty shit. It's gross. To be honest, I don't think I've ever seen a picture of it, and I don't want to see a picture. It's just when the wound gets infected, right? It just gets really infected? Basically. It's it's disgusting. Yeah, I don't want to... I'm good with just my imagination. 
<laughs> so she continued her recovery in Istanbul in January of 1934. Come February, she was healthy enough to travel back to Baltimore. As I turn the page, to continue her treatment. She received a wooden prosthesis, which she named Cuthbert. Cuthbert, C U T H B E R T. Is that isn't that how you pronounce that? <laughs> Cuthbert. That's, uh, Cuthbert. That's what I, Cuthbert. So she named her leg. <laughs> For months, Virginia worked on recovery and worked on walking with Cuthbert. And by September of 1934, she was itching to get back overseas. In December of, of 1934, only one year after losing her leg, Virginia landed in Venice as a clerk for the U.S. Embassy. One year. Hmm. Here she tried again to join the U.S. Foreign Service. At this time, only six women were a part of the total 150... My bad, let me say that again. 1,050. 1,500 officers, 1,500 officers in the U.S. Foreign Services, and only six of them were women. And all six were forced to be single. If the women got married, they had to immediately resign. That sucks. That's stupid. So the men can get married, but the women can't? I feel like it has to do with them, like, I'm assuming getting pregnant. Yeah, I think it was, like, also in the time, like, women were seen as having to take care of the household and stuff. Yeah. It's like, oh, you can't have a career no more. you got a new career. You can either be a wife or have a career, but you can't do both. Tragic. Sad times. So, the fact that these women had to be single didn't really hinder virginia at all she didn't care she's like so what i'll be single i want to be a part of the u.s foreign services in 1937 she asked to take the exam for a third time but she received a rejection letter from the u.s department of state which stated that her amputated leg made her ineligible for the u.s foreign service her dream was officially over A badass like Virginia never stays down for too long, though. She took a job at the U.S. litigation in Tellin, Tellian, in June of 1938 and tried to appeal the rejection to the Assistant Secretary of State. She was not going down without a fight, but again was denied. Denied. Virginia was frustrated. She never wanted a life of sitting behind a desk. She wanted adventure. She wanted more from life. In May of 1939, she quit the U.S. Foreign Services completely and moved to Paris. Where do you think this is headed? I don't know. She's supposed to be a spy in here. Somewhere. She's going to be a spy for Paris? I don't know. But I just know she's going to be a spy in here somewhere. Well, what do you think is about to happen? Like, what major world event is about to happen? In Paris? I don't know. Wait, what year are we in? 1939. World War Two. Wait. Yeah, World yeah. War Two. Yeah. Yeah, it's World War Two. Okay, so 1939 was not the year to be in Paris. On September 3rd, 1939, France declared war on Nazi Germany after they invaded Poland two days before. God, I hope that's right. I didn't write that Poland part down, but I think that's what happened. I was I was going to say that. Anyway. I, don't, I don't know if that's right, but keep going. Okay, okay. The Poland part's not right, but France declaring war on Germany on the 3rd mm -hmm. is right. The Poland part, that, that sounded a little off, but keep going. Poland part may not be right, but I, they invaded something. It wasn't Paris, or it wasn't France, but they invaded something and France went to mm -hmm. war. This is it not? I thought Poland was one of the first countries. Mm, I thought Poland was a little later. Okay, maybe Because I thought if they take Poland, Sweden? then they would have no, won. Okay. But I could be completely wrong. I'm pretty sure yeah. that's right, though. If they take Poland, then they basically <laughs> okay. keep going. So they invaded something. Okay. 
So our girl Virginia did not run from the fight. Instead, she joined the French Ambulance Corps, where she drove ambulances to the front lines, treated wounded soldiers, and drove them back to safety. All with one leg and a wooden leg. Virginia worked as much as she could during this time. That was until Paris fell June 14, 1940, and France surrendered to Germany on June 22nd. Virginia fled to London on August of 1940 after hearing her experience. One minute, that's two differences. So she fled to London August of 1940. After hearing her experiences in France, the U.S. defense attaches attaches office. I don't know. Hired her. The defense. The U.S. defense office hired her. She accepted at first, but then she survived the Battle of Britain and. Luftwaffe's round-the-clock bombings, and she knew she couldn't get stuck behind a desk again. So the bombings were the like the airstrikes that would go on all the time. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, it started to lag out when you say that last part again. Okay, so the airstrike, the round-the-clock airstrikes, mm-hmm. it's, um, I'm saying it wrong. I didn't look up any of these foreign words because I finished this five minutes before and I feel so bad. I'm sorry. L- Luftwaffe's? I-, I don't know what that word means. Airstrike? The bombing? Okay, so essentially, like, for months, London was just bombed at random times. Do you remember the opening seas of, like, Nardia when all the bombs mm-hmm. are going off? I think that's what this was. So she survived that. Okay. Living in London. So on February, but, you know, she survived that. She survived the Battle of Britain, which I don't remember anything about, but I'm sure it was traumatic. And she was like, you know what? I'm not doing, I'm not sitting by the desk. I want to fight. I want to help. I hate Nazis. Let's do this. So on February 26, 1941, she resigned and started working for the British Special Operations Executive, or OSE. Now, if I say SEO, it's because that was my thesis, and those letters are very similar. So, OSE is what we're talking about. She went through rigorous training program and became an official special agent in April of 1941. On August 23rd, 1941, she found herself in Lyon, France, with the code name Germain. And her alias was Bridget Leconte, a French-American reporter for the New York Post. Virginia was a good spy. Some even say the best spy at the time. In just 15 months, Virginia organized and armed the French resistance, saw downed Allied airmen safely back to London, sabotaged German supply lines, helped prisoner of war escape German president prisons, German prison camps, and was a liaison for other SOE agents. She was a force to be reckoned with. She sounds like a badass. She is a badass. It's just crazy, like, these kinds of people that we just never hear about mm-hmm. in history class or learn about or don't really know. And I was kind of thinking, like, why don't we hear about it? Like, people like her. But I also think it's, we do hear. There's just too many. There's just a lot of them. Like, I I wrote this paper for JC off of a documentary called The Rape of Europa. And it's during World War II. It actually sounds a lot like this lady. But the lady was a librarian. So people that know Hitler had, like, a big thing for art. And he was taking Mm -hmm. all the art from this place in Europe and... They never like thought twice about the librarian lady, but basically the librarian lady was keeping track of all the things he was taking and all the things he was saying. And then that kind of led to the, the recapturing. I think it was like $250 million worth of art that he had like taken and sold to other Nazis and then the arrest of a whole bunch of other Nazis. But Hitler never like thought anything of her. She was just a regular librarian lady, but she turned out to kind of be basically a spy and she was keeping track of where everything was going. Well, that's- that's like 
kind of how Virginia was so successful is because they sent her out there because they knew that like the Nazis would just look past a woman. Mm-hmm. Like they knew the Nazis wouldn't think a woman could be a spot, especially a woman with a wooden leg. I mean, it's impressive. So they knew, I mean, like they said in that NCIS episode, you know, people look past like amputees or people in wheelchairs and don't really see them so they can hide in plain sight. And she could because she was a woman with a wooden leg and no one would think that she would be a spy. And that's how she was like very successful. Also, she was really good at like disguising herself and making different disguises. So she never looked the same. But she didn't go unnoticed. The Gestapo didn't have a lot of information but they knew enough to know they were looking for a lady with a limp who they assumed was a Canadian-American. It was at this point the Germans brought in the big guns, Klaus Barbie, otherwise known as the Butcher of Leon, and he had his eyes set on taking Virginia down. He was even quoted saying, I would give anything to lay my hands on that Canadian bitch. The funniest part is that she wasn't Canadian <laughs> at all, so. Klaus was the Gestapo chief in Lyon, and he was known for being merciless and brutal. He was known to torture and, and execute innocent Jews and allies himself. He was all a torture thing. He put up wanted posters and ads about Virginia. These posters read, Quote, the enemy's most dangerous spy. We must find her and destroy her, end quote. It was a full-on manhunt. I mean, she did a lot of damage to the, to the Germans. Klaus and the Gestapo were starting to get too close for comfort, forcing Virginia to escape to Spain around the end of 1942. But this wasn't a simple escape. Virginia walked over 50 miles every day for three days straight through the Pyrenees mountains and heavy snow during this time or during this trek Virginia was able to get a message back to headquarters that said she was fine but Cuthbert was giving her trouble HQ responded quote if Cuthbert is giving you difficulty have him eliminated HQ didn't did not get the memo Virginia named her leg Cuthbert they thought she was talking about like a prisoner or something. Oh my goodness. <laughs> when she arrived in Spain, she was taken into custody because she didn't have paper documentation, but she was released 20 days later and made it back to London. Okay. God, this lady is amazing. She trekked all the way through the Pyrenees Mountains. It was in December. In space, like these places get cold, so there was a lot of snow. Made it all the way through. How mad do you think she would have been when she got to Spain? And they were like, You don't have the right documentation. I would have been like, Look here. Do you know what the hell I have? Like, fuck you guys. Yeah. I'd be like, Call, call England, call London. They can vouch for me. They knew who I am. (laughs) Call London, call England. So she made it back to London, but she didn't sit still long. She was ready to get back on the front lines, but the SEO was hesitant. They're like, look, that Klaus guy, the Gestapo, they're like still really hunting for you. Like they really want you. So it's, it's too dangerous. So they sent her to Madrid in May of 1943 to organize safe houses. Only two months later, Virginia was back in London, hoping to get back to the front lines. During the stint in London, Virginia was re- was recognized for her war efforts by becoming a member of the British Empire. So I think this is like probably one of the awards we give out to like veterans, like the Purple, like Purple Heart, Heart or something. One of those, yeah, one of those types of awards for your Wait, efforts. Isn't in the war Purple Heart if you die? Uh, yes, but it's Me- like one of those honor, things that you honor. get when you do Medal of Honor. Yeah, 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 yeah. So one of those. 
However, she declined to receive the medal from King George VI because she thought it would blow her cover. It's not a bad thought. <laughs> not a bad thought at all. If you're, yeah. With the SEO gatekeeping the front lines from Virginia, or with SEO gatekeeping the front lines, Virginia decided to transition to the newly formed American Intelligence Service. Office of Strategic Services, or the OSS, which later became the CIA. So she was working for the for England. Now she's working for the United States. The OSS was trying to figure out a way to get into France. They didn't really have... None of their people were there. They had no intel or anything. So Virginia was the answer. By this time, the disguise had to be but this time the disguise had to be better than ever because they're still hunting her down. A makeup artist taught her how to make wrinkles on her face and a dentist grinded her teeth down to give her the appearance of an old milkmaid. That would have been too far for me. I don't like people touching my teeth. That's how far she went. That's how far she went. And also, went. isn't the OSS, isn't that the name of the group from Spy Kids? Yeah, maybe. I appreciate, yeah, I think it's the OSS. Well, it was a real thing. Back now we know where they got it from. It then became the CIA. Yeah. Her new code name was Diane. Her new location was a village south of Paris called Medu. And her job was an undercover radio operator calling in German troop movements. Dun, dun, dun. But this was more dangerous than her first mission because the Germans had sophisticated radio detection equipment. When they got close, Virginia relocated to the town of Kuhn. of Kuhn in May 1944. I would have said that mm -hmm. one wrong because there's an S in there and you apparently you don't pronounce that S. The town of Kuhn in May 1944. This time, her mission changed. The Allies were closing in on their plans to invade France, so they instructed Virginia, or Agent Diane, to organize the French resistance in preparation. And so it happened. Virginia gathered who she could, and on June 6, 1944, as the Allies stormed Normandy Beach, Virginia and the French resistance began sabotaging supply lines and attacking German troops from behind enemy lines. So they were doing this, but all the other OSS and SOE groups that had like formed the French resistance and mm -hmm. other areas were doing this. So it was complete chaos. So what we don't, we always hear about Normandy, but what we don't know is we were attacking them on the backside too. So they couldn't move north or it hindered them from moving north. So all of these little groups were planted throughout it and just started wreaking havoc as soon as the allies came to Normandy. I didn't know that. Did yeah, I, I I knew that. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, so some people did learn about it. <laughs> and there's a good chance I learned about it and forgot. So don't hate me, Coach Beatty. It's on me. You're a great teacher. <laughs> Keep going. Okay, well, I didn't know that. <laughs> but it was Virginia. Virginia did it. Did you know that, it, that uh, a woman with a wooden leg... Was the one stirring the pot that started I did not it. know that. Shout out to her. Okay, see. Okay, see. I taught you something new. By August 16th, 1944, the resistance group groups dropped the guerrilla warfare tactics and turned all turned to all-out war. On August 26th, the German Southern Command surrendered to Virginia and the resistance. But the job wasn't done Yet, Virginia coordinated a parachute drop on September 4th. Little did she know, she was calling in the love of her life, French-American Lieutenant Paul Goulier. Nice. So this man was a part of the par I don't know if I made this clear, but the man was a part of the parachute team, and he landed, and they gathered with Virginia, and those two fell in what love. What a romance story. Yeah. The new team cleared Kuhn 
and made it to Paris. OSS informed them that the mission was successful and to come home. But Virginia and Paul, but for Virginia and Paul, the war was still going at the Battle of Bolouge. Am I saying that right? Sure, I didn't know. You're the history buff, apparently. You knew that there was fighting on the back I'm not side. the history buff. I just remember the big facts of history. <laughs> That's not a big fact. The Battle of Belugia, I'm sure, was a big one. Okay. Anyways, I think this was like the last great battle. Which meant their job wasn't over yet. The pair volunteered for another mission. Where they would infiltrate behind enemy lines in Austria. On April 25th, they were in position in Switzerland to execute the mission. However, on May 2nd, they received orders. The mission was off. Six days later, Germany surrendered. Hmm. Having already received an award for her work with the SO the SOE. Virginia also received the Distinguished Service Cross, which is the second highest award for bravery. And I don't know what you have to do to get the first highest award for bravery, but damn, did she not do enough? <laughs> what do you got to do to get more? You got to see the qualifications for that. What, what more do you want? But whatever, she got the second highest award on the in the OSS on September 23rd, 1945. She is the only civilian woman to receive this honor. President Truman wanted to give it to her in a public ceremony, but she insisted on a small private one to help keep her cover. She was granted it, and only her mother attended. All Virginia had to say about the award was, quote, not bad from a girl from Baltimore. I love her. I love her so much. I can respect her. She sounds like a cool lady. You can respect her? She does, doesn't she? Well, you better respect her. This woman survived Nazi Germany with one leg. I feel like she's the type of girl you sit down and have a nice little little beer with, and she can tell you stories for days. Okay, it's funny you say that, because I read this article where her niece was interviewed, and her niece was 16 mm-hmm. at the time she came home, and she said that her aunt... Virginia never talked about the war. Would never say anything about it. I could see that too. She saw too much. I don't know if it... Yeah, too traumatic. Or I don't know if she like just wanted to keep her cover. Didn't want to say everything she's Mm -hmm. done. Because I've met white people like that. that are war veterans and they just refuse to talk about it. Because they think no one should have that on their mind. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, she... She was one of those people. She wouldn't talk about it. After the war, Virginia was only 40 years old and not ready to give up the spy life. She applied once more for the U.S. Foreign Service when the OSS dissolved. Okay, so I think the OSS was only created for World War II. Mm, Like a special task force kind of thing? Yeah, so I think they got rid of it. Um, And the U.S. Foreign Service... Um, the nighter again. This time she was told it was budgetary cutbacks. I don't know, man. She did all this in the war and you still don't want her? <laughs> Has she not proven you herself oh, to you? Oh, because she's a woman, probably. She's done plenty. Probably more than most of the dudes that are there. Well, also because she has a... She has a oh yeah, I always forget that that minor detail. See, that's how you know she's done a lot of great things. You always forget that she has a wooden leg. I know, but it's even more insane when you hear about that. That was okay because the Central Intelligence Agency or the CIA had just formed, and through them, she was back in Europe working the field in 1947 and 1948. When she returned to the U.S., she worked for the CIA's National Committee for Free Europe. And she married Paul in 1950. Nice. After that, she was a CIA analyst for the Office of Policy and Coordination in Washington. She would go on to work a variety of jobs in the CIA until she hit the mandatory retirement age of 60. And I guarantee you, 
if they didn't make her retire, she would have just kept going. Oh yeah, most definitely. She was just kept going until she, she died. She only retired because they made her. Yeah, she only retired because she made they made her. She was the first woman to become a member of the CIA's career staff. Oh, that's pretty cool. She's amazing. No, she has a daughter, right? Or you say that was her? No, something. Is her no. niece? Is yeah, her niece. Her and Paul retired to cozy farm life in Barnston, Maryland, and lived a peaceful and simple life. Virginia passed away on July twelfth, nineteen eighty-six, at the age of seventy-six. And that was the story of a badass spy. We should have done this on national. Is there? There's National Women's Month, right? Yeah, I, I forgot what month it is. Yeah, we should have done it during that month. She's amazing. Yeah, she's cool. But also, she got, like, the perfect ending, too. She lived that chaotic life and then got to retire to the mm -hmm. farm. And it's the article said she liked to bird watch and work in the garden and read her. And just yeah, simple. Literally went off into the sunset. Yeah, I know. Had her, her nice husband... Mm -hmm. I'm sure her small little family. And I mean, she didn't have. Oh, kids. she never had kids. I don't think so. Nothing was mentioned. And her and Paul got married. After their 40s. That makes sense, too. And they're both like in the CIA. Yeah, it makes sense for them not to have kids. Yeah. So I don't think they ever had kids. That's nice, too. I kind of want to live that life. No kids. Just just me and the me and the wife. Me mm -hmm. and the missus. When it's done, it's done. Simple. Yeah. yeah. I love that story. God, she's so amazing. I'm going to have to look her up, find out more details about her. Yeah. Well, apparently they were supposed to make a movie about her. And I was like, well, I'm surprised there hasn't been a movie mm -hmm. yet. That's what sounds like a good movie to make to me. I know. There's been a lot of books about her. Which obviously have more details than I gave. Uh, so there's there's that. But man, from a young kid to the end of life, she was just an incredible woman. I respect her. Yeah. I do too. All right. Similarities and differences. Mm, I mean, besides the the paraplegic part and the spy part, I don't I don't know. She's not paraplegic. Or what? I thought she had a wooden leg. I don't know what exactly paraplegic means. That's, paraplegic is that's like uh, you could have both your legs. You're um, paralyzed. Uh, Parts of your body are paralyzed. She was like an amputee. Oh, okay. And I googled it. An amputee is the politically correct term because I didn't want to be oh, wrong. Okay. Sorry. She's yeah. amputee. Yes, she was. She was an amputee. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think that I would find, because our NCIS story were about essentially amputees and paraplegics like, mm -hmm. and spies. And I was like, yeah, I'm sure I won't find a story that has those two things. And then I did! I thought it was close enough. Plus, it was a really good story. It was a really good story, man. Well, I was writing it, and I was getting anxious. I was like, ooh, is she going to escape? No, I knew how the story ended. I was still <laughs> writing it and going, is she going to escape Nazi Germany? Like, is she going to get, is she going to take it down? Is she going to be okay? What's going to happen? Is she going to escape mm -hmm. Claus? She was the backbone to Nazi Germany's defeat. She was, I think they were, they were saying that she was like the best spy at this time. <laughs> So, Ken's was the episode. Okay. So, next week's episode. Do you want to guess? Mm, CSI Miami. No. Okay. Mm, wait, I get one more guess since A Rod is. Okay, here. okay, that's fine. The original Law and Order. It is a law and order, but you've probably never heard of this one. What is it? 
Law and Order LA. What the fuck? It was I only, never heard of that shit. It was only on for one season. It, it's pro- is it god awful? I don't know. <laughs> it was it was made in like 2010. It's not that old. Hmm. Yeah, I've never heard of it. Okay, so we're watching. Don't and don't ask me where you can watch it at because I don't know. I was gonna say, is it findable? We're gonna find out. If I have to spend three ninety nine on Amazon Prime for an episode, I'm gonna be upset. I would watch it illegally. There's one of them I watched. Ill- oh, it was a uh, the original Law and Order. But I'm not saying that everyone should watch it illegally. I'm just saying, don't ask me where to watch it, and I won't ask you where you watched it. Nah, it's too late. You're about to get a copyright fine. <laughs> We watch, we're going to watch Law and Order, L.A., Silmar, Season 1, Episode 4. Silmar. S-Y-L-M-A-R. Silmar? Is that how you you pronounce it? Okay. Sounds good. That's what we're watching. All right. Watch, watch there be a revival of Law and Order LA because we just went and told a bunch of people to watch it. That'd be and Dick Wolf's like, so might we as well bring it back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you're listening, Dick, bring it back. Yeah, and then put it on and plat- put it on Hulu. <laughs> All right. With that, this has been a technically challenging episode, and I am your host, Kinsey Huseman. This is Crime on Primetime, and we are signing off. See ya.